WBCA Radio is proud to present City Talk, where fascinating conversation is alive and well, with your host, Boston Radio veteran, Ken Meyer. Hello again, everybody. We have a very unusual and different edition of City Talk this evening. Uh, A guest who has been with us before, Dwayne Steele, who was a graduate of the New York Institute in New York City, suggested one day that I should be interviewed on my own program. And I agree. And Dwayne is here to do that. And uh, Dwayne, as they say in the business, it's all yours. Well, I'm certainly glad to be a part of your program tonight. And I thought that it would be a great opportunity for you to share some things about yourself that your listeners of today may not know. For example, how did you actually get started in radio at a time when, well, when blind people particularly were being discouraged from going into radio? Exactly. And it was also because there was no ADA at that time. I got hooked on radio when I was in the third grade. Uh, We went on a field trip, coincidentally enough, to WHAM radio. And uh, we stood in a studio and a man named Ross Weller gave a live station ID, which we were there for. And I just stood there and said, wow. And then a few years later, my parents gave me a tape recorder when I was 10 years old for a Christmas present. And I started making up my own radio programs and playing records and pretending I was a DJ. I'd love to hear those now because <laughs> I bet they didn't sound very good. But I hear it, was, it, was, it was just a, a thing to do. Uh, I'm a big sports fan. I used to sit in front of a tape recorder with an earpiece and uh, pretend I was Mel Allen rebroadcasting New York Yankee games just like he did. And uh, in 1965, I got hooked up with a gentleman who changed my life, who coincidentally worked uh, at WHAM. I wanted to get into radio. I made it known to my guidance counselor and our principal at school. And they couldn't handle it because they were only familiar with people that wanted to get into teaching or industrial arts or piano tuning. So they suggested, well, why don't you go see Bill Givens and talk to him? So I did. And um, he recommended Graham Junior College in in Boston, Massachusetts. Now, who was was Bill Givens? Bill Givens was the... Bill Givens was the program and sports director uh, at WHAM in Rochester. Mm -hmm. Uh And I got acquainted with him through an usher at Red Wing Stadium in Rochester. And and Bill became, uh, it became an eight-year friendship. Unfortunately, he passed away much too soon. He was only 53 years old. Mm. Uh, But he was around long enough to know that I made it to BC. But he wrote a letter of recommendation to the president of uh, Graham College, which he had been associated with because he had worked in Boston. He had worked at WBZ, as a matter of fact. So he wrote a letter to Graham College. Uh, the school invited me down. Uh, I went down and talked to a couple of people there. And then <clears throat> I had to get VRS, which was what it was called then, which mm-hmm. was the Vocational Rehabilitation Service 
interested in paying my way through college, which they didn't want to do because they only wanted to work with people who were in piano tuning or teaching. Yeah. And I said, look, I don't want to be a piano tuner. If I ever do this, you're going to have a record for the most broken strings on a piano <laughs> in history. So I didn't want to do that. And I told my counselor, I said, look, I want to pursue radio broadcasting. So they said, finally, okay, we'll pay your way for the first semester. If you make it through the first semester, we'll keep it up. If you don't make it through the first semester, we're done and the rest is up to you. Well, for the first time and only time in my entire life, I made the dean's list <laughs> in the first semester. Uh, I made it through Graham uh, and then tried to find a job, uh, which was very difficult. Nobody wanted to hire A, a blind person, and B, a person who had no experience. And of yes. course, the question always would come up, how can you get experience if you don't get hired? So my parents and I came to Boston in the summer of 1970 and got together with a gentleman who became a very dear friend of mine, who was one of my instructors, still is a very dear friend, as a matter of fact. Uh, and he set up an appointment with Milton Graham, the president of the school. And I went and talked to him. And he, in turn, called a gentleman at WBZ named Lamont Thompson. Lamont Thompson was a public relations man, generally speaking. He was classified as an area vice president of Westinghouse Broadcasting, but he was on the board of trustees at Graham Junior College. So Milton Graham set up an appointment for me to go meet with this gentleman. And I did. <clears throat> and he said to me the obvious question, what makes you think you can get into broadcasting? And I said, what makes you think I can't? I said, you know, you're in your job with eyesight. You're trying to picture what it would be like doing your job without it. And you can't do that. Right. And he said, you're absolutely right. right. So he said, you know, we'll take it under advisement. He said, is there anybody you would like to meet as long as you're here? And I said, yeah, I'd like to meet Guy Manila. Now, Guy Manila was a gentleman who started the first sports talk show in Boston in July of 1969. Oh. And I used to listen to that show. And I went down and was absolutely thrilled to meet him. He could not have been nicer. And he said to me, have you met our program director? And I said, no. So he took me across the hall and introduced me to a gentleman named Bill Schubert. Well, mm -hmm. as luck would have it, it turned out that Bill Schubert had worked with Dick Walsh, my instructor from Graham, at both at WEEI in Boston. So he called Dick Walsh on the phone. They talked for half an hour, 45 minutes. He put down the phone and he said, Kenny, if you can do half the things that Dick Walsh says you can, I'd love to hire you. But to use a phrase you probably never heard in your life, we have no room in our budget. Oh, yes. So I went back to Rochester and talked to my VRS counselor and said, look, they want to hire me, but they don't have any money right now. 
So I have a suggestion. You pay my salary for three months or six months or whatever. If I don't get hired, I can still walk out the door and say I had X amount of months working at WBZ. Yes. And that's exactly what happened. It started, it all started in August of 1970 when we went back and forth negotiating and everything else. In February of 1971, uh, I started working at WBZ with a guy named Larry Glick, whom some of your people may know of and remember, but this was a guy who was on all night long and he likes to call people in the middle of the night. Uh, and what happened was he called somebody in Iowa and the guy threatened to sue BZ for invasion of privacy. Oh and that's when, the, that's when they decided that Larry Glick needed a producer. I came along that producer turned out to be me. And what would happen would be Larry would get interesting calls or find stuff in the paper and we would call them ahead of time and say, look, uh, you know, Larry wants to interview you about having a gorilla in your backyard. Uh, um, you know, would you agree to do this? And they, and they would say yes. So that's how I got started in radio and started working at WBZ where I eventually spent 14 years. So you basically became the gopher for Larry Glick, uh, finding people for him to talk to or screening the people for him to talk to. Exactly. And, but then your own voice became a familiar uh, voice to folks in the Boston area. And in fact, has been familiar to them for about half a century. Well, that started because How'd you do Larry... It? Larry, Larry started by putting me on the air every once in a while. And uh, I remember I was kidding him one night and I said, you know, Larry, this is just like Ed McMahon and Johnny Carson. And he said, that's right, Ed McMahon, get out of here and go back in the control room. <laughs> so, um, but I worked with Larry for seven years and then uh, got to booking guests in the daytime for all of the talent, as well as producing Calling All Sports with Bob Bell and Upton Bell. And then I eventually got my own program via the program director at BZ, um, a girl named Robin Young, whom you may or may not know of, uh, who eventually went to Channel 7, did the Today Show, and was doing the program called Now, which was on WBUR-FM. I don't know if she still is, but she was, but that's what her progression was. But she left, and our program director, a guy named Dave Martin, decided to give the program to me. So that's how I, I got started doing the program on Saturday nights at BZ, as well as booking guests for the other talent and getting on the air once in a while. Mm -hmm. uh, Bob and Upton would, would see fit every now and then to put me on the air. One of the biggest thrills I ever had was in September of 1971, a guy named Jerry Williams, <clears throat> whom your listeners may know about, BZ Radio was going to celebrate their 50th anniversary. So Bob Oaks was our program director at that time. He called me into his office and said, look, we want to do a special all week long, starting Monday, September 20th. 
We don't have the budget that KDKA has. But what we yeah. want to do is have old-time radio guests on the Jerry Williams show four hours a night, five nights a week. And I said, okay. So I sat down with Jerry. We put together people who we wanted to get. I got them. And uh, <laughs> um, we did it. We did a half an hour interview with each person uh, for four hours a night, five nights a week. It's one of the greatest thrills I ever had. Tell us about some of the people you interviewed during that particular week. Well, <clears throat> I didn't do much interviewing, but I, I mean, I did talk to them on the telephone mm -hmm. uh, right. before we put them on the air with Jerry. We had people like Buffalo Bob Smith, who did the Howdy Doody television show. We had Art Linkletter, who did People Are Funny and um, Art Linkletter's House Party. We yes. had Bob Hope. We had uh, Kenny Delmar, who was the announcer for Fred Allen. We had Julie Stevens, oh. who was the romance of Helen Trent. We had Mary Jane Higby, who was uh, uh, had her own radio show called When a Girl Marries, and was also a great talking book reader, as a matter of fact, just as a side oh. note. Uh, <clears throat> we had Bob and Ray. We had Charles Carell from Amos and Andy. Uh, we had Ken Carpenter, who was the announcer for Bing Crosby and also the great Gildersleeve and a bunch of other radio shows. Harry Von Zell, who was the announcer for uh, George Burns and Gracie Allen. And those are just some of the people. Oh, we had Bill Stern, the sports announcer. We had Mel Allen and Red Barber um, as well. So those are just some of the people I can remember off the top of my head. There's a story uh, that I think I've heard somewhere about how by accident, and yet it turned out to be a great thing, you got to interview Phil Rizzuto. How did that come about? <laughs> well, my instructor at Graham, a guy named Dick Walsh, worked at uh, WEI here in Boston. At that time, uh, Phil Rizzuto was a broadcaster for the Yankees and had a sports show on CBS radio, a five-minute show, six nights a week, called It's Sports Time. And he happened to let it slip one day that when Rizzuto came in to Boston to record the show for CBS, he was Rizzuto's engineer. Now, for whatever reason, again, I can't explain, but for whatever reason, I worshipped guys like Phil Rizzuto and Mel Allen. I, ju I just loved them on the air. And so one day after class, after he let that slip, I went to uh, Dick Walsh and said, look, I'm a big fan of Phil Rizzuto. I love the guy to death. Is there any way that you could arrange for me to interview Rizzuto? So one day when the Yankees were in town, he asked Rizzuto and Rizzuto said, absolutely. He said, you bring him up to the booth in Fenway Park and we'll do an interview. And he gave me, I'll never forget it, a, Dick Walsh gave me a Stencil Hoffman tape recorder from WEI. <laughs> and I, he drove me to Fenway Park. And I met Rizzuto and sat down and we did a half hour interview. And it was one of the greatest thrills of my life. I kept sitting there holding a microphone and thinking of all the people that told me I'd never make it in broadcasting. 
and thinking to myself, boy, if they could see me now interviewing a, a guy who may be in the broadcasting or broadcasters hall of fame in Cooperstown, as well as being a great shortstop, man, would they be jealous? And um, it was, it was, was great because we, we oh, eventually turned it into a documentary. We had to do documentaries in our second year. Mm-hmm. And, and so a gentleman and I, a gentleman named Jim Rivers, who eventually became secretary to the governor of New Hampshire, wow. put together the, the, a documentary on Rizzuto. He narrated it. I picked the parts and wrote the script. And uh, it was called Phil Rizzuto, Mr. Shortstop. And we got an A straight across the board, 18 minutes and 45 seconds. And that's the Phil Rizzuto story. Was there any truth to the rumor that uh, he thought you were from WCBS as opposed <laughs> to WBZ? No, that was <laughs> that was not Rizzuto. That was Bill Veck, oh. uh, who, who had written uh, a couple of books, and he was in Boston to promote his latest one, which was his owning ownership of, I think, Suffolk Downs. And the book was called 30 Tons a Day. <laughs> And uh, it was a luncheon of some kind that he was at to speak. And I went and there was a, there was a snowstorm. There was a horrible snowstorm in Boston. But I went anyway. I got in a cab and braved the snowstorm and had a copy of his book and had him autograph it. And he said, who do you work for? And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a college student and I work at WCSB in Boston, <laughs> which is the name of our college radio station. So when he's introducing the media people that are there, uh, he said, uh, and Ken Meyer is here from WCBS in New York. Oh, <laughs> so, I love it. So that was, <laughs> that's the only time I ever got credited for working for CBS. But uh, he, w- he was a nice guy. When I eventually got to BZ, I interviewed him uh, for an hour on the phone when he was in Chicago. And... Um, it was it was a great thrill to to interview him. He was a good guy, and of course he's noted. Uh, he's the only man that sent a minute up to bat uh, in 1952 when he was with the St. Louis Browns, and that's one. And he was a, he was a promotional genius. He loved people. He used to, uh, you know, sit in the ballpark and talk to the fans and find out what they wanted and what they liked and everything. He was a promotional genius uh, back then. And so that's the uh, that's why and how I got introduced by working at WCBS in New York. Now, you've been everywhere. I mean, you've met all kinds of people. And uh, one of the things I think that uh, I'm most impressed about is the fact that you have somehow managed to keep old time radio alive. Um, well, tell me about some. Tell me about like, for example, I understand that you actually got to ride to the airport with Mel Blank. Is that true? <laughs> uh, it wasn't to the airport, actually. Uh, it was to the Cape. Uh, ah. WB, WBZ was doing an old time radio weekend with the actual radio stars live in front of an audience. And people like Mel Blank and Julie Stevens uh, came to Boston on Thursday ahead of time because they just wanted to get into Boston. 
Julie Stevens had been living on the Cape and she, as she put it, wanted to breathe the Boston air. And the next morning, they all made an appearance on the Good Day Show at Channel 5. And then we all decided to go to the Cape. And we got caught in a huge traffic jam. I mean, we just stood still. We didn't go anywhere for like an hour. And I said to myself, now, what do I do with a man who's called the man of a thousand voices while we're sitting here in a traffic jam? So <laughs> we used to go through, we went through a lot of the Jack Benny routines, like um, uh, Mel Blanc would play a particular character and Jack would say, uh, do you have a sister? See, si. what's your sister's name? Sue. Does Sue do anything for a living? See, si. what does she do? So, so, see. Si. <laughs> and, we, you know, we did all kinds of stuff like that, which, which, Everybody, the limo driver was in hysterics. He loved it. He had never heard that stuff before. And, uh, you know, he did all his, you know, he did Bugs Bunny. He did Woody Woodpecker. He did Daffy Duck. You name it. He did it. That for the benefit of your listeners is basically uh, they wouldn't know him in any other way except by the voice. Right. That's that's right. Um, he did the Roadrunner. He did all kinds of cartoon voices, uh, and he was he was a great guy to know and a, and a pleasure uh, to be with. He talked about Jack Benny, of course, and he had his own radio show for a while. But um, it was it was an incredible weekend. Uh, we did we did soap operas. Uh, we did the Romance of Helen Trent, and if anyone remembers that show. The program would always open with somebody playing a guitar and humming the theme to Juanita. And I got to do the humming. So that was my claim to fame with Julie Stevens, who was Helen Trent. I got to do the help do the theme song of, of that program. We had a wonderful guy from ABC in New York named Warren Somerville who rounded up a whole bunch of radio people. Because when we first got started on it, I, I called Julie Stevens because at that time, she was the only contact that I had. And mm -hmm. she said to me, what you need is a Warren Somerville. And I said, who's Warren Somerville? <laughs> and, she, and she told me, and she said, this guy can round up everybody. So I said, okay. Mm -hmm. So I called him and then they decided to have me meet all of these people. So I flew to New York and rubbed elbows with people like, of course, uh, Vivian Smolin, who was our gal Sunday, Mason mm -hmm. Adams, uh, who did a lot of old time radio. He did Pepper Young's Family. Uh, he was on the Lou Grant show, which hadn't gotten started yet, but he did all kinds of stuff. He was there, Lon Clark, who played uh, Nick Carter, Master Detective, was there, and a whole bunch of other radio people um, who just who just filled in and did did different characters on different shows, like like Ralph Camargo, for example, or Betty Raggy, or um, oh, and the lady's name escapes me, but she played Miss Miller on the on Mr. District Attorney, uh, his secretary. Um, 
And I, I, as I said to Bob Oaks when I got back, I was, I felt like I was the president addressing Congress. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was a great thrill, not only to do, just to ride down Broadway in New York City in a taxi cab. So that was, <laughs> that was all part of putting it all together. Now, old time radio is considered by a lot of people to be called the theater of the mind. Were there any particular people who were stars in radio uh, that you liked even when they went to TV? Brett Morrison. Or, or when, their, when their roles went to TV, even if not the same person. Well, um, I had a chance to meet Eve Arden, uh, whose radio show went to television. Uh, she was, of course, our Miss Brooks. Our Miss Brooks, yeah. Uh, the whole Benny cast uh went to television and we had them there of course everybody except jack because jack had passed away at that time mm -hmm. but thanks mm -hmm. to larry glick we knew a guy who was in new hampshire named bob blasser and he could imitate jack benny so well that <laughs> you'd think he came back from the grave wow um, but we used him when we did a jack benny radio show and all of the other people that that were on the show went to television. Don Wilson, Dennis Day, uh, Mel Blank, uh, Frank Nelson, all those people went to television and I got to know them all. In fact, I'll tell you an interesting story. Uh, Milt Josephsburg, who was one of the writers for not only Jack Benny, but he wrote for Lucy and he also wrote for All in the Family. He wrote a oh. biography on Jack Benny and he came to Boston. This was after we did the uh, big broadcast on BZ Radio. And I went to Larry <clears throat> because he was going to do the interview. I said, Larry, I got an idea. I said, let's ask Josephsburg if he'll take telephone calls. Naturally, he's going to say yes. But instead of putting the audience calls on the air, let's call the Benny cast and put Dennis Day on the air and surprise Milt and Mel Blank and Frank Nelson and do the same thing. And that's what we did. Josephsburg couldn't believe it. He was flabbergasted that we could contact all those people. Did you, um, did you have any particular interviewer or interviewees that you just were just glad to get through the interview that you didn't like? Only one. And, <laughs> and that was Robert Mitchum. Uh, One of my was, favorite actors. <laughs> well, I can't help that. I mean, he's a good actor. <laughs> I will never dispute the fact that he's a good actor. But he was in Boston promoting the Friends of Eddie Coyle. Now, I was filling in for Glick, which meant that I wouldn't get home until 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning and then would go to bed. Well, of course... Mitchum didn't want to be up that late at night. So I didn't want to do the interview, but the station said, look, this is why he's here. They want him on BZ. You got to do it. Uh, yeah, okay. So I did it. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know how else to describe it, except that he didn't want to do that interview any more than I wanted to. He knew it, and I knew it. Oh, but, boy. you know, we, we got through it. Um, we never aired it, as a matter of fact, because he said words that you can't say on the air. Okay. And, but 
we did what they wanted. They wanted us to tape an interview with Robert Mitchum, and so we did it. He was the probably the only interview uh, I ever did that I didn't like. I had trouble in the beginning, however, with an interview with Clayton Moore, who was oh, the, the TV, TV Lone Ranger. TV right? Lone Ranger. Um, <laughs> but he warmed up when he said to me, can you name the four people that have seen the Lone Ranger's face? And I did it. And oh, from then goodness. on, I had a friend for life. Oh, um, that you did. Yeah, I did. As a matter of fact, uh, Fred Foy, who was the announcer for the Lone Ranger and who did the that very famous opening, both for radio and television, we were casually talking one day and I said, have you ever met Clayton Moore? And he said, no, I haven't. I said, OK, come to the studio on such and such a night. I called Clayton Moore and said, look, I want to introduce you on the air to Fred Foy. So we did. We did a hookup with Clayton Moore and Fred Foy in the studio. And Fred Foy was thrilled beyond belief that he got to talk to the Lone Ranger who was on television. Clayton Moore was thrilled because he got to talk to the man who probably did one of the greatest openings in broadcast history. Oh, yes, absolutely. Everybody so, knows that particular introduction. Well, if they don't, they're in a cave somewhere. Now, but you, you interviewed a lot of past radio personalities. Do you have a favorite? I think Art Linkletter has to be one. Um, we did an hour together when he was at, when I was at WEI. He had been on. Uh, our 50th anniversary show with Jerry Williams. And uh, a couple months later, somebody came over to me and said, you know, Art Linkletter is over at BZTV. Well, <laughs> needless to say, I made it my business to go over to BZTV and introduce myself. And he remembered the program. And I said to him at that time, do you have a few minutes to come over to BZ Radio and, and sit down and do 10 or 15 minutes. And he said to me, well, if we haven't got time, we'll make time. And he got up and oh, walked, wow. out of the, walked out of the studio. A friend of mine told me later, she didn't know who had a bigger grin on their face, Linkletter or me. And then Linkletter uh, made a series of trips to Boston and did a lot of motivational speaking. He was really wrapped up against uh, drugs and peak, uh, getting people to try and stay away from them because his daughter got hooked on him and yes. killed herself. She jumped killed out of a bedroom window. Yeah. And um, so we became friends even more. And when I was at EEI, uh, we, I called him and, and he did a beautiful interview with me for an hour. Uh, Willard Waterman, who was the great Gildersleeve. Great Gildersleeve, after, yeah, the second one. The okay. second one, after after Harold Perry left the show, was another one. Um, very accommodating. Great guy. Um, Dennis Day, when I was at BZ, I did an interview with him uh, on, my, on, on the, the Saturday night program. Uh, Marvin Miller, who um, did The Whistler on radio, yes. and who also did the television show The Millionaire, uh, was another one. 
he was one who came to the big broadcast uh, that we did in 1975. And he and I became friendly. So uh, there have been a lot of great people. Um, I mean, Fred Foy, of course. I can't leave him out. Uh, Absolutely not. Right. Interesting, right. interesting story there. I was on the air one night and a caller casually called and said, hey, if you could do a show on anything you wanted, what would you do? And I said, well, I would love to do a show with some of the great announcers like uh, uh, Ed McMahon, for example, um, and Fred Foy and thought no more of it. And then a couple of days later, a young lady calls me at the station and says, are you the gentleman that uh, said they'd like to interview Fred Foy? And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. She said, well, Fred Foy is my father. And Fred Foy is coming here to Boston because at that time he was still working for ABC Radio in New York. Yes, yes. And, he said, uh -huh. and she said, he's coming to Boston to celebrate Father's Day. Would you like to meet him? And of course, <clears throat> would I like to meet him? You've got to be kidding. So, <laughs> so she brought him to BC Radio. We did an interview. And the, uh, the end of the story is that when WEI started uh, putting radio classics on the air, they were having all different hosts do the program. They didn't have a steady host because they couldn't find one. Well, I applied for the job and submitted the Fred Foy interview uh, that I had done as an audition tape. So Bill Kindler, who was the general manager at the time, called me at BZ and said, my friend, you got the job. You know more about Fred Foy than he does. So that was how I got to WEEI and host the uh, Radio Classics program. And that's how Fred Foy became a part of my life. I'll put you on the spot here, Ken. If you were going to bring back three of your favorite old-time radio shows, what would they be? And would you use the original stars or would you put some other people in the starring roles? I would use the originals. Jack Benny would be one. Gunsmoke uh, would be another one. And then probably uh, Fibber McGee and Molly. Um, they've tried recreations and it has worked to a degree. Uh, they've done it a lot at old time radio conventions. I'd have to add a fourth. I think various shows from Suspense uh, would be another one. Um, but I would try, I mean, if they were alive, I would, I would use the original stars. Uh, Joseph Kearns, who I can't imagine radio, old-time radio ever being without, would, would certainly be the announcer. And, and they had a lot of different ones. Uh, when the show first was on the air, he used to call himself the man in, this is the man in black, inviting you yes. to join for this half hour of suspense. And you had different ones. You had um, Harlow Wilcox when Autolite was involved as a sponsor. And he was the main announcer for Fibber McGee and Molly when they were on the air. So I would bring one of these two guys back as the announcer. So if I could, I'd use the radio stars. Those would be for the shows. Oh, gosh. You know, it's hard to narrow it down because 
yours truly, Johnny Dollar, would be another one. The one with Bob Bailey. Yes. Uh, they had a lot of different guys do they it. They had different guys, yep. They had Hugh O'Brien do it. They had John Lund. Um, Mandel Kramer had, did it too, didn't he? Did, did, Mandel, Mandel Kramer did it, yes. And so did Bob Reddick. Um, oh, that's right. The show went to New York in 1960. And Bailey could have kept the role, but he didn't want to leave Los Angeles. So he stayed there, and these two guys filled in and did the show. Not as good. I think Bailey was the best Johnny Dollar they ever had. And, um, and it was one of the last dramas to actually leave the air, wasn't it? Yes, there were only two that were left, uh, Suspense and Johnny Dollar. And they went off at the end of September in 1962. Gunsmoke went off and in 61 parley bear told me that they weren't it didn't happen on the air they just canceled the show and told the actors you know that's it you've done your last gun smoke wow now you've you've traveled a lot you've been to other media markets and probably like me you liked tuning around on the radio to see what was on in a particular place. Is there a city outside of Boston, if you could choose the market to be in, and it could go back to what you and I both remember as kids, what city would you go to? I'd go to two of them. I'd go to Rochester, where I grew up, because um, that's where I first became interested in radio, and I worshipped three or four announcers at that time. And probably New York, because guys like Bruce Morrow, uh, Harry Harrison, um, yeah. Howard Cosell, uh, he used to do a show on Sunday nights called Speaking of Everything. Speaking of Everything, yep. And yep. I marveled, I marveled at Cosell's versatility, because he, he was one guy, he could interview Mickey Mantle in one breath, and then turn around and interview a state senator on an entirely different topic and be an expert on all of it. Um he was, I think, uh, very important to the media. He uh, did a great job when he did Monday Night Football. He uh, stood behind Muhammad Ali when Ali refused, refused to go into the army. Yes, uh, he did. In, yep. in 1967 and stood yep. behind him all the way. Until, yes, sir. Until he got his license back to become a boxer again. And I remember it because it was April 28th when he wouldn't take the step uh, to be inducted. And we happened to be in Washington, D.C. at that time on our senior trip. So I thought that was kind of symbolic. Um, but the, I, I, I would pick New York. I mean, there's a lot of great uh, cities that had great announcers. Uh, I like WBAL when they had the Orioles. And mm -hmm. Chuck Thompson, uh, who was the radio announcer there. Uh, I liked uh, 3WE in Cleveland when Joe Tate was doing the announcing for both uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers and the, and the uh, Cleveland Indians. Um, it was a great time to be around. And plus the fact that each ball club, their broadcasters were stars in their own right. I mean, yes. you could almost go down the list. Pittsburgh yep. had Bob Prince. Yeah. Cleveland had Jimmy Dudley. Um, the Dodgers had Vince Scully and Jerry Doggett. And Boston yeah. had 
Boston had Ken Coleman and Ned Martin both. Um, and, and the Yankees, of course, had Mel Allen and Joe Rizzuto and Red Barber. They had three announcers. Um, the Mets, when they were first on the air, you, yep. had, you had Lindsey Nelson, Bob Murphy, and Ralph Kiner. All, all my talented, favorites. All yeah. talented in their own right. Um, Lindsey Nelson was a surprise because usually announcers would go from broadcasting a local team to the network. Nelson went the other way. He, yes. broadcast, <clears throat> he broadcast the game of the week on NBC and then went to the Mets yep. until 1982. He was there for 20 years. 20 and then years, he yeah. left there and went to the San Francisco Giants. He uh, went into the main offices and said, look, I don't want uh, what happened to Mal Allen to happen to me. So that's one of the reasons why I'm resigning. And that's what he did. He left New York, went to San Francisco for a while, broadcast there, and then decided to call it quits. You mentioned being in Washington, D.C. on your senior trip, which brings up another name for me. <clears throat> Everybody remembers Willard Scott, but hardly anybody remembers his radio sidekick, Ed Walker. Ed, yep. They worked together on the air uh, at WRC. At least yeah. they did when I was there. Yes, uh, and they, they were known as the Joy Boys. Uh, I got in contact with Ed Walker through my piano technology teacher who knew somebody in Washington. I, I can't remember who the gentleman was, but he told us about Ed Walker, which was important because when VRS agreed for paying my tuition, I also had to, and everybody had to do this, I had to interview announcers or people that were in the field that we chose to go into. So we set up a phone patch, which was illegal in those days, <laughs> with Ed Walker, and um, did an interview and taped it. I put it into a... a, a, a an assignment, a paper or whatever. And when I went to Washington, uh, I had a chance to go to WRC and meet both Ed and Willard Scott. And Ed and I remained friends right up to his death. Yes. Another one who died too soon. Yeah. He was a good role model. Uh, he had a great voice, fabulous voice. I oh, wish yes. I had a voice like that. But he was very helpful in the beginning. He knew I went to WBZ, and uh, Glick, Glick had him on the air one night, as a matter of fact. His producer talked him into it. Uh, <laughs> um, so those, those, were, those were fun days. I'd give anything to recapture it and, and do it and live it all over again. I'd like to step back just a bit. And one of my first remembrances of hearing you actually broadcast was waking up in the middle of the night and hearing you bring back some of the old radio shows. Where did you get them? And how, how, did, how did that idea of promoting old radio shows come about? Our engineers, uh, because of the union, had to have a union break of half an hour during 
their shift, which was midnight to seven or midnight to eight. Um, Larry played comedy records like Bob Newhart or uh, Shelley Berman or uh, Pat Cooper. I didn't want to do that. So I decided to play old radio shows. Where did I get them? They, they were on sale on record. Uh, a couple of companies, Mark 56 was one, uh, Radiola was another. And I had, a lot, I had bought a lot of these radio shows. Mm. And we, we played them on the air. And that's where and how we got them. And that's what we did so that the engineers could get a half hour break. I would get a break uh, and just go in the control room and shoot the breeze with the engineer or whoever my producer was. And, and so it gave me a break as well. And uh, in fact, the lady that you are currently involved with, Allison Roberts, always used to call me <laughs> after the radio show was over. She used to, from what I understand, she used to set her alarm to wake up at 2.30 so she could hear the shows and, and call me after the show was over. Yes, yeah, she has told me about that. And um, and she did play for me once a tape of her her calling you. Uh, of course, it was all surreptitious because she wasn't supposed to be up at that hour of the night. So you had a bad influence on at least one person. <laughs> yeah, glad to hear it. Can you think of any particular people that you yourself actually uh, influenced into uh, going into radio or no. into any kind of broadcasting? Um, I can tell you um, one story uh, of a young lady. We got, we got a letter once at EEI from somebody whose daughter was a big fan of the radio show. And she was only like seven or eight years old, but she listened to radio classics every night. And they wrote and said how much she enjoyed the program. So I contacted them and I said, look, why don't you bring your daughter here some night so she can actually see the broadcast? Don't tell her where you're going. Just bring her here, bring her up to the studio, and we'll even put her on the air. And we did, and they took pictures. And I like to think that, um, I don't know whatever happened to her, but I'd like to think that I uh, did something very good for a nice, nice little young lady. You don't get a chance to do that much anymore. No. But I, no. I was lucky enough to do that. Now, podcasting has become the big thing today. Have you ever thought of actually doing your own a uh, particular podcast. I know. Uh, I know. City Talk will appear as a podcast, but have you ever thought of doing a podcast of your own? No, uh, for two reasons. Number one, I don't know how to do it, <laughs> and number two, <laughs> I don't know exactly what I would do with it if I had it. Um, I get to do interviews for City Talk, as you well know, um, and and I've been very lucky. I've had. Local people like uh, Susan Warnick, for example, from Channel 5, uh, Jordan Rich, uh, who fills in every once in a while from on WBZ and who has been a friend for over 35 years. In fact, he uh, 
emceed my parents' 50th wedding anniversary when we had it in Boston. Um, uh, recently, Carol Burnett, uh, the president, Neil Sabin of, of MeTV, uh, and I have, I haven't done it yet, but I have lined up uh, a name that most people will recognize, I hope, and that is Sean McDonough, who does hockey, he does football, he does baseball, uh, radio play-by-play with the Red Sox, and uh, I don't think there's a sport that he hasn't done. Yeah, yeah, he's, other he's than done them all. other than other than boxing, maybe or tennis, but um, and I have to ask him this too because he went to Syracuse University, as did people like Dick Stockton, uh, Marv Albert, um, Bob Costas, and I had an instructor in college here in Boston who eventually went to Syracuse and was the Dean of Communications. And I'm dying to find out whether Sean had him as an instructor or not, uh, which we will find out when we tape the interview. So I, I get to do what I want to. I do a show also for the city of Boston on television, which is a, a cable television show uh, called Disability News and Views. Yes. Um, I, I like doing them both because when I do the radio show, I can do what I want with who I want. Um, the television show is a little bit different. That deals solely with uh, disability issues and people who have or have not disabilities, but, but deal with the problem, uh, maybe in the workforce or whatever. So yeah. go ahead. We're nearing, we're nearing the end. And I'd like you to uh, suggest uh, as the last question for me, uh, if I were just getting started in learning about old time radio, what books might you recommend? If you're a sports fan, I would recommend a book by Kurt Smith called Voices of the Game. It's old. It's over 30 years old, but it's a great history uh, of baseball broadcasting. There's also another book uh, similar to that by a guy named Kurt McKnight called The Voices of Baseball. Um, mm. There are a couple of good books on Edward R. Murrow who uh, worked for CBS Radio. Uh, there's a great biography on Walter Cronkite, yes. uh, which is <laughs> 35 hours long. <laughs> I, I just finished uh, reading it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's another book by a guy named Gerald Nockman, who uh, wrote a book called Raised on Radio. I would recommend that one. I would also recommend a book by uh, Howard Moulton called The Great American Broadcast. Uh, where he gets to interview a lot of the people that were around at that time. So there are a lot of, there's another book. I, I don't think you can get it on talking book. It's not available anymore, but if you can find it in print and have somebody read it or figure out a way to, to get it read. And mm -hmm. I can't remember who the author was, but it was a book called it sounds impossible. And it discusses the, uh, the early days of broadcasting. Uh, Frank Harmon wrote a book called Radio Superheroes, which is available on Bookshare. Uh, I would yes. recommend that book as well. Uh, luckily, there's a lot of books written on a great era. Um, there's a gentleman, very young gentleman named 
Frank Graham's, uh, who has written books on a lot of radio programs, The Shadow, uh, Suspense. Uh, he is writing a series of books on the Lone Ranger in radio. Uh, there's one out mm. right now called uh, The Lone Ranger, The Early Years. Uh, unfortunately, mm. these books are not on Talking Book and they are not on Bookshare, but they are out there. So if you, can on Amazon, out, yeah, yeah. if you can figure out how to get them and get them read, you're a better man than I am. Mm. But those are some of the books that I would recommend. Well, we're just about out of time, but I want to thank you for letting me share this time with you because I find your life and career very fascinating indeed. And I'm sure that many of listeners will agree with me once they've listened to this broadcast and shared this time together. Well, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, it's always nice being interviewed. And uh, you're good at it. You should have been in radio yourself, I think. Well, thank you. I tried, actually, in the D.C. area back in the late 60s. And I was one of those who was discouraged from going into it. So, yeah, uh, I know. I know that feeling. I remember once getting a call from somebody from the from the commission here in Boston asking me to do the same thing with a client. And I said, I won't do it. I'll be glad to talk to him. If anything, I would encourage him. I would say that now it is most difficult to get into radio broadcasting the way the, the, way the market uh, is going. Uh, radio stations are very budget conscious. Uh, they try and draw the line whenever they can. They figure, why should we pay a talent when we can get syndication and just have somebody play local spots? And I really feel bad because that that's the way people are going to think that radio was or radio is today. And it was it was a great media back then. It still is to a degree. I'm doing my best to try and keep it that way. And um, I just hope that I can keep doing it. They have been very decent to me as far as giving me complete freedom as to what I can do and who I can do it with. And I'll always be grateful for that. And I hope if other people get the chance to get into radio, that they might be able to do the same thing. Sounds great. All right, sir. That will do it for this edition of City Talk. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to another great conversation with Ken Meyer and friends. You can contact Ken by email. The address is kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. That's K-J-M-E-Y-E-R-7 at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more conversation with Ken Meyer on City Talk.